you can pick the microbe for the effect you want. So if you want smoother skin, you want to get along better with your family and coworkers, and you want um, uh, deeper sleep and greater libido, let's ferment lactobacillus roteri. Let's say you want to shrink your waist more than you've achieved with diet. Let's ferment lactobacillus gasseri. Let's say you want, you're a competitive athlete or you work outdoors hard and get sore muscles. You want to reduce muscle soreness and accelerate recovery. Let's ferment bacillus coagulants. You're listening to Food Integrity Now with your host, Carol Gervais. everyone. Welcome to Food Integrity Now. I'm Carol Gervais, the host of the show, and I'm glad you joined us today. Food Integrity Now has been doing podcasts for over 12 years. And if you check out the website, foodintegritynow.org, you can see some of the amazing guests we have interviewed and the many articles we've written to assist you on your health journey. And don't forget to check out our health store. We only support products that we believe are high integrity. So let's get started with today's show, which I'm very excited about. I think you're going to learn a lot today about your gut health. Our guest today is Dr. William Davis. Dr. Davis is a cardiologist and author of the groundbreaking number one New York Times bestseller, Wheat Belly, along with other New York Times bestsellers in the Wheat Belly family, Wheat Belly Cookbook, Wheat Belly 30 Minute or Less Cookbook, and Wheat Belly Total Health, and several other books, including Wheat Belly 10 Day Grain Detox and Undoctored. His most recent book is Super Gut, a four-week plan to reprogram your microbiome, restore health, and lose weight that maps out the damage that has occurred with our modern human microbiome and the specific actionable steps that you can be taking to restore it to your maximum advantage. Dr. Davis, welcome back to Food Integrity Now. Thank you, Carol. Great to be back. Yeah, it is. I interviewed you over nine years ago about your best-selling book, Wheat Belly, which certainly opened a lot of eyes regarding eating our modern day wheat and its connection to weight gain, as well as a host of many other adverse effects um, from diabetes to heart disease, immunological disorders, neurological disorders like dementia and rheumatoid arthritis. And we have learned much since then about how destructive uh, our modern day wheat can be. Now in your new book, Super Gut, you talk about the explosion of research that common mental and emotional struggles such as depression, anxiety, ADD could be blamed on the disruption in our microbiome. And we know there's a lot of research in this regard and that many health conditions like obesity, autoimmune conditions, and neurodegenerative diseases likewise can be blamed on our microbiome. Now you had many people following the wheat belly protocol 
and you were still seeing people having health issues. Was this what prompted you to study further what is happening in our modern day microbiome? Exactly that, Carol. In other words, people would do the wheat belly strategies, which boils down to very simply avoidance of all wheat and grains. As you point out, this thing massively changed by agribusiness and adding uh, the handful of nutrients that are lacking in modern life. Magnesium. We filter our drinking water and it removes all magnesium. So we have to get magnesium. We, we spend, you live in sunny California, but you know, you, I bet you spend much of your day indoors. I bet you when you go outside, you wear clothes. <laughs> so we're shielded from activating all the vitamin D we should get. We don't eat liver and organs. So we supplement vitamin D. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids, because modern people don't like the idea of eating brains of animals. That's where DHA, for instance, comes from. We can eat fish, that's limited by mercury contamination. So we have to get omega-3 fatty acids. And then lastly, iodine, much more of an issue where I am in the Midwest, where people have forgotten that iodine deficiency was among the top public health problems all throughout human history. And so we get those four nutrients, which by the way, put together, all add up to reducing insulin resistance, that driving force behind weight gain, obesity, hypertension, coronary disease, type two diabetes, cancers, and dementia. So that basic menu of strategies works really well, but it doesn't take everybody 100% of the way back to health. Some people would say things like, well, I had intolerance to, to nightshades like tomatoes or eggplants or to histamine containing foods or FODMAPs or to legumes or fruit. I couldn't eat them, I get excessive bloating. Those intolerances sometimes persisted or somebody would say, I lost 73 pounds, great. I've got 40 more to go, I plateaued. <laughs> Or I'm off my insulin, I'm off my other oral drugs for diabetes, my hemoglobin A1C dropped from a miserable 12.7% down to 5.8%, much better off the drugs, but not perfect yet, 5.0%. So I saw people encountering plateaus despite spectacular uh, uh, progress and improvements. So I looked for answers and Carol, I looked in the microbiome and lo and behold, there's a ton of answers and there's all kinds of things we can do to the microbiome to take everybody that last mile. That's wonderful. So can you explain to us some of the changes that have happened in the microbiome? So, you know, you and me and your listeners have been exposed to huge amounts of antibiotics. It's not uncommon by age 40 that you've taken 30 courses of antibiotics. They're overused. Even the CDC tells us that about a third of all antibiotics are inappropriate or unnecessary. And that uh, additives in food, like food preservatives, you know, the food preservatives kill bacteria, including the ones in your GI tract. Emulsifying agents in ice cream or salad dressing like polysorbate 80 or carboxyethylcellulose, massive changes in your microbiome, intestinal microbiome. Other drugs, anti-inflammatory drugs like naproxen and ibuprofen, massive changes in your microbiome. Statin cholesterol drugs, not only are they silly, silly class of drugs, they also disrupt your microbiome. Stomach acid blocking drugs. When you lose stomach acid, you remove that barrier and it encourages stool microbes, Carol, stool microbes. It encourages them to ascend up into the small bowel. On and on and on, glyphosate, herbicide, pesticide residues in food. In other words, we swim in a virtual ocean of factors in modern life that have changed the microbiome. The biggest effect 
is losing critical species. We lost hundreds of species. Now those species had roles. You know, it's like a human community. Everybody, there's a baker, there's a policeman, there's a teacher, there's a doctor. You know, there are roles that bacteria play in that community of the GI tract. And when you lose important species, you lose important functions on your health and the bad guys begin to proliferate. These are mostly stool species like E. coli and salmonella and Klebsiella and Citrobacter. I call this the fecalization of America. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and they ascend, Carol, they ascend up into the 24 feet of ileum, jejunum, duodenum, and stomach, adding up to 30 feet of trillions of microbes. Now, microbes don't last, don't li live for decades, right? They live, they live for maybe hours to days. So there's rapid turnover, trillions of species. When they die, some of their breakdown products enter the bloodstream. This has been talked about for years by functional medicine and integrative health doctors who called it gut leak. Well, now there's real science behind this. Yeah. Began in 2007, finally validated when bacteria die, especially stool microbes, the so-called gram negatives. They release their, uh, the products, their, their components of their cell walls into the bloodstream. And this is called endotoxemia. But Carol, it's now clear how microbes living in the 30 feet of GI tract can be experienced as depression in the brain or Alzheimer's dementia or as rosacea or psoriasis in the skin. I want to interrupt just for a second. I think a lot of people are aware that our microbes, our gut microbes or dysbiosis and imbalance of the, the good and bad microbes can really affect our physical health. But I don't think a lot of people equate it to things like anxiety and depression. Before we go on, uh, can you explain how uh, that dysbiosis can and does affect our brain and our moods? A absolutely, Carol. There's crosstalk. Your gut talks to your brain. Your brain talks to the gut. It's amazing how much of your internal dialogue, the, the thoughts you entertain, the emotions you have, whether it's of love and optimism or hatred and criticism, is largely determined by the microbes, the composition of microbes in the GI tract. And it could be a message you're, you're running in your head of being close to other people, wanting their companionship, loving your children, or it could be of hatred of wanting to kill other people, of hating other people, hating other races. And not all of it, of course, but a good portion of it is determined by the microbes that live in your GI tract. You'll see that play out in many different ways. For instance, when you have this overgrowth problem where you have 30 feet, so this is called SIBO, of course. Smoke. Can't wait to discuss SIBO because this okay. is fascinating and it's an epidemic, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, when you take steps to push them back and thereby killing off, you're literally killing off trillions of microbes, well, you have a flood of their breakdown product, a flood of endotoxemia. And so when people do that in the first, typically first few days, people say they, uh, they're, they're angry, they have anxiety, they have panic attacks, they had 
nightmares. They lash out at people. <laughs> the so-called die-off reaction. That is my. So it's an illustration, though. There's also studies, Carol. To my great surprise, these studies have been done mostly in Europe. They take that endotoxin. It's also called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. Interchangeable, essentially. So they actually took normal people, people who were not depressed, and injected them with this endotoxin in microscopic. Agreed to that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing because if you just calculate, Carol, you can kill somebody. That's how potent these toxins are, bacterial toxins. They inject normal people uh, and they get depressed, profoundly depressed within about three hours. If you perform MRI of their brain, they show all the hallmarks of depression. So it's telling us, this and other evidence is telling us that depression to a great degree, maybe not entirely, but depression to a great degree is a disease of the microbiome. So it's an illustration. You know what? And when you set things right, your microbiome, or at least we work towards that, one of the great things is wonderful, vivid dreams. Like you're a kid again, you're flying, you know, you're showing up in English class, your underwear, showing up at the school play without knowing your lines. All those kid dreams come back. Libido goes up and the erotic content of dreams can go up. So in other words, it, it will, as, as people gain control of their microbiomes, they will experience a change in the internal dialogue, even, even during sleep too. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you for that information. I just think that it's something that we don't think about, you know, we're in a bad mood and it, it could be something you ate. So let's discuss uh, SIBO, which is uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and SIPO, which is small intestinal fungal overgrowth. You say in the book that SIBO and SIPO might be as ubiquitous as type 2 diabetes, which we now know is in, at epidemic rates in this country and in other countries, and that tens of millions of us have been affected by SIBO, but many haven't even heard of it. Can you share why? A lot of reasons. It's relatively recently been validated. So it's relatively new science. The sad fact is, Carol, you know this, that practicing physicians are typically 17 to 20 years out of touch with science. You know, this is going to sound terribly cynical to your listeners, but you know, I practiced medicine for 25 years, trained for 17 years, so I know exactly what goes on in the medical system. And I can tell you, education for the practicing, the busy practicing physician, who's got a lot on his plate, his or her plate, right? Yes. But their education typically comes from the newspaper, news, and the sexy sales rep in a miniskirt or three-piece suit. That sadly is how most education is conveyed. So they say things like, well, I, they didn't teach me that in my and medical school training, yeah, well, that was 25 years ago, right, or something like that. And so they're woefully out of touch for the most part. There are, I'm generalizing, of course, there are functional medicine doctors, integrative health practitioners, chiropractors, uh, naturopaths who are up to date on this issue and keeping up. But it is, as you point out, wildly out of control. You know, I was, I was skeptical, Carol. At first, I thought SIBO and CIFO were these uncommon things, exceptions, until several things happen. If you look at the body of evidence, if you take, for instance, fatty liver, and you look at the studies that just ask this, what proportion of people, what proportion of the 150 million Americans with fatty liver have SIBO accompanying their fatty liver? 
Well, about 50% test positive. That's 75 million right there. How about wow. obese people? What proportion of the 30 million people in this country who are obese have SIBO? 50%. Another 15 million people. How about what proportion of people with irritable bowel syndrome? There's 60 to 70 million Americans with irritable bowel syndrome, you know, urgency, bloating, diarrhea. So it depends on which study you look at, but typically about 40%. What's 40% of 60 to 70 million? So we're not talking about another, what, 20 million, 25 million? You know, there's overlap, of course. You can have an obese type 2 diabetic with fatty liver. But if you add up all the different studies that looked at what proportion of uh, these people with X condition have SIBO, you easily, Carol, easily exceed 100 million people, one in three Americans. And, and Carol, I think that's conservative. I think it's worse than that. And the reason I say that is when th this device came out, the air device, AI. Oh yeah. Let's talk about that. That's cool. Came out 2018, 2019. The, the inventor, Dr. Angus Short in Dublin, Ireland, my friend now. Well, he invented this for his then fiance, now wife who had irritable bowel syndrome. She was told to go to low FODMAPS diet, low fiber, low sugar diet to release, to, to relieve, um, reduce her bloating and diarrhea. And so she does this, but he sees how difficult it is and what happens when she slips up, gets bloating and diarrhea. So he invents this device to detect hydrogen gas produced by bacteria when they get exposed to those fibers and sugars. Well, so he releases it, commercializes it as a device for irritable bowel syndrome and the low FODMAP style. I got a hold of it. I called him up. I said, Angus, that's not what this is. <laughs> I know you invented it, but it's not what it is. It's a mapping device. It's a mapping device to tell you where bacteria, not fungi, unfortunately. There's no such device yet for fungi. It tells you where bacteria are located. Are they in the colon, 24 feet down where they're supposed to be? Or have the microbes ascended up into the small bowel where they're not supposed to be? This tells the difference. Unfortunately, because of regulatory issues, the instructions that come with, should anybody buy this? You don't have to buy the device, by the way, it's $200, but it's one of the options people have to identify SIBO and then to track your success or failure at eradicating it. So, it, And of course, monitoring for recurrences because recurrences are a real, are a perennial struggle with, with SIBO. So, but Carol, I tell you all this because when I got this and I uh, told thousands of people about it, and they all started testing. It was shocking. It was the exceptional person who tested negative. Yeah. Left and right, people are testing positive to flagrant degrees. And when they take steps to eradicate the SIBO, they say things like, you know what, I can now eat uh, FODMAPs. I don't have intolerances to food anymore. I had a list of 37 foods I couldn't eat. I can eat them all now. <laughs> or I broke my weight loss plateau finally. Or my hemoglobin A1C finally dropped. Or my blood pressure finally dropped to normal. My, my rosacea finally went away completely. In other words, the uh, elimination of the SIBO correlated with some kind of major health improvement. Yes. And that is called the AIRE, A-I-R-E. A-I-R-E. The company is Food Marble. This is the okay. old device, by the way. The new one's black. And uh -huh. tests for hydrogen gas and methane. Methane is another gas that some microbes produce, particularly people who are constipated, so that can help. But the dominant form of SIBO uh, is the hydrogen gas producing kind. Okay, and I'll put a link to that on, on the show page. So how does SIBO manifest? 
So it can manifest uh, a great issue, Carol. It could manifest as food intolerances uh, in all its different forms, histamine-containing foods, FODMAPs, nightshades, all that stuff. Uh, allergies, it could manifest as fat malabsorption. You see fat droplets in the toilet when you have a bowel movement. It could uh, manifest as intolerance to fats. Uh, in other words, you eat a fatty, oh, oh, because when microbes are up in the duodenum, that's where the, the bile duct and the pancreatic duct uh, empty their enzymes and bile, and microbes disrupt that digestive process. And now uh, with another, that, that would have affect your gallbladder then too, right? Microbes can infect your gallbladder. It's incredible, Carol. If you take gallstones and you look at them for microbes using DNA testing, not the old fashioned methods that don't work, use DNA testing, you're going to find stool microbes in the gallstone. Now, what in the world are stool microbes doing in the gallbladder that's 24 feet up from the colon where stool is supposed to be? Yeah. How'd they get there? Well, right, they ascended. So that's, wow. that's one of the incredible things. Uh, as we get older, it's very common to have a stomach filled with stool microbes. I mean, it's amazing, Carol. This took all this time to come to, come to light, but now it's become clear we have mucked things up incredibly as modern people. But now with these insights, including such things as the air device and means of measuring and detecting, uh, people have the power to backpedal on all this stuff. Other uh, ways to know you have it are if you have diagnoses or conditions virtually synonymous with SIBO. So irritable bowel syndrome is almost synonymous, even though some studies suggest maybe only 40% of people with IBS have SIBO. It's probably a lot more than that. Fibromyalgia, very high likelihood of SIBO and to a severe degree. Any autoimmune condition like Hashimoto's thyroiditis or rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, very high likelihood. Any neurodegenerative condition very high likelihood. If you're overweight or obese, very high likelihood of SIBO. If you have type two diabetes or pre, very high likelihood. And so, uh, you know, if you look at, if, if someone looks at all the studies done, asking questions like this, of people who have irritable bowel syndrome, what proportion have SIBO? Or all the people who have fatty liver, what proportion have SIBO? You look at all those studies, look at the number of healthy control groups so they'll take a bunch of healthy people who don't have IBS or don't have fibromyalgia or whatever and test them also for hydrogen gas for SIBO. You'd be shocked. The healthy controls, it's not uncommon for 18, 24%, 30% to test positive also. So healthy controls ain't so healthy. So what are some of the conditions that are associated with SIBO that's untreated? Carol, what I would propose that virtually every health condition known to man, putting aside injury and infection like dengue, fever, malaria, right? But right. all the common conditions that afflict modern people, type two diabetes, prediabetes, fatty liver, uh, weight, uh, overweight, coronary disease, atrial fibrillation, dementia, Parkinson's disease, on and on and on. I think all those conditions need to be reconsidered, re-examined in light of a contribution of them from the microbiome, either as the initiating factor or as a factor that makes it worse. And so it's just shocking to me that, unfortunately, as you point out, this is not trickled down to John Q primary care and not even to the gastroenterology community for the most part. They're still in the dark. 
And so this is why I advocate that people look for these things. And this is, this is a, uh, though you can succeed without the air device. And by the way, I have no relationship with the company except being a friend of, of Angus Short. Uh, this is a game changer. You may not remember the days of type one and two diabetes before we had finger stick glucose, certainly before we had continuous glucose monitors. Back then, all we had was urine dipsticks. Well, imagine, you know, you have a three-year-old playing out in the backyard and she passes out and goes into a coma, type one diabetic. Well, what do you, do you dip her urine to figure out if her blood sugar is 900? She's going to go into diabetic ketoacidosis and kidney failure within the next couple of hours, or is her blood sugar 50? And she's going to die of brain damage in the next five minutes. <laughs> Try dipping the urine. <laughs> you can you can imagine finger stick glucoses were a real game changer. Yes. Well, this this is the game changer for intestinal health. We now know with some, it doesn't identify all forms of SIBO, but it, uh, it, it identifies the dominant forms of SIBO. And I, I certainly opened my eyes just how common this is. So many of our microbiome um, species have vanished. Is there a way to identify them? I mean, and what can we do about it? There's a ton you can do. And this is the fun part, Carol. Yeah, (laughs) I like solutions. (laughs) The not so fun part is I did SIBO and the CIFO. I I didn't didn't answer your question about fungal. So there's also in parallel to SIBO, a fungal overgrowth problem. That's uh, a problem just like SIBO and people who've taken a lot of antibiotics. It tends to have very similar kinds of symptoms, bloating, diarrhea, skin rashes. A lot of people get sugar cravings from the fungal overgrowth and the approach is a little bit different, but it's a very parallel kind of problem. Are you talking about candida? And- uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a little bit different. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that, that's not so fun part, identifying, recognizing, and then managing that overgrowth problem, whether it's bacteria or fungi or others like archaea, the methanogens. But the fun part is uh, adding back healthy microbes. So my, my favorite, my favorite microbe in the world. I bet lact- I know the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> Lactobacillus reuteri. Yeah. R-E-U-T-E-R-I, named after the German microbiologist who discovered it in 1962, isolated from human breast milk, uh, Dr. Gerhard Reuter. Well, back then, Carol, he, there was no problem finding Lactobacillus reuteri. He could look at all these different people and they all had it. Well, as his career proceeded over the next 40 years, he found it increasingly more difficult. And today, almost everybody has lost this one microbe. Well, you know, if we looked at the microbiomes of indigenous populations, like people living in the jungles of New New Guinea, for instance, they all have reuteri. They don't get antibiotics, not exposed to the things we have. They all have reuteri. If you were to look at the microbiomes of a squirrel or a chicken or a raccoon, they all have reuteri. In other words, it suggests that it's crucial for uh, the health of an animal, including us. Well, we've lost it. So we replace it. We get this microbe. Now, I do it by making yogurt. I call it yogurt. I I regret calling it yogurt because people say things like, oh, you mean I can go to the store and get? No, 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 no. I call it yogurt because it looks and tastes like yogurt. It is not yogurt. (laughs) It's something entirely different. Right, right. (laughs) We get the microbe. We make yogurt or other fermented foods because that's our way of increasing the counts. When I first did this, the strains I got were from a commercial product called Gastrus, G-A-S-T-R-U-S, from a Swedish company called BioGaia. 
And they sell it to us as tablets in very low quantities of bacteria because the tablets are made for infants. So it has very low counts of microbes, 100 million of each, but, which sounds like a lot, but in bacteria, it's nothing. So we ferment it. We use, I use my method of very prolonged fermentation, 36 hours to allow the bacteria to double 12 times. That's how bacteria reproduce. They don't have sex. They just reproduce. They double themselves. So we get when we perform something called flow cytometry on the yogurt, we get around 250 billion counts of bacteria per half cup serving. So by making the yogurt, we increase bacterial counts a thousand fold. Wow, and when people consume this yogurt, so one of the things that this microbe does is it takes up residence in the entire GI tract and then sends a signal via the uh, nervous system of the intestines, the myenteric nervous system through the vagus nerve up to the brain. And it tells your hypothalamus to release the hormone oxytocin. Your listeners likely know what that is because oxytocin is known as the hormone of love and empathy. So count that's what happens. People say, I like other people better. They're less annoying. My favorite is I understand other people's points of view better, even if I don't agree. Really interesting. That's really interesting and really important these days. <laughs> all by replacing a microbe, all of us have lost. Now, the ladies love Roy Rai because one of the effects of oxytocin is a marked increase in dermal collagen. You start to lose your wrinkles after a few weeks. Uh, guys love it because it increases muscle strength and muscle mass. It, re it restores youthful muscle and strength. Uh, I'm a chronic insomniac, Carol. I've always, decades, always having to rely on, you know, melatonin, tryptophan, whatever, trying, just trying to sleep, watching TV from two until five in the morning, reading books. I now sleep straight through rock solid nine hours, vivid childlike dreams. It suppresses appetite in ladies. It preserves the density of bone. It's probably the most important thing a woman can do to preserve bone density is get rotary. Uh, so, smoother skin, deeper sleep, restoration of muscle, preservation of bone density. Carol, I think we're talking about turning the clock back 10 or 20 years. And you'll see this on people's faces when they do this. It takes a few weeks, but they say, look, at here's my selfie before, here's my selfie after. And they look different too, Carol. So how do we, how do we get this? In layman's term, how do I do this? Because I know our listeners are excited about this and they go, I want to do it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one of the things we have to be mindful of when you start to play with microbes like this is strain, the strain of bacteria, what's what we call strain specificity to illustrate. So I've got E. coli in my gut. You've got E. coli. Your listeners have E. coli. But what if you got romaine lettuce from the Central Valley of California contaminated by cow manure, as often happens, right, with E. coli? Well, you can die of that E. coli. Same species, E. coli, different strain. So okay. when you play with microbes, got to pay attention to strain. And sometimes even makes a life-death difference. Now, with rotary, I'm not so sure strain matters in all cases because well, I originally did this with the two strains that uh, all the evidence came from in that tablet, the gastrous tablets. I have since made rotary yogurt with multiple strains and all the effects seem to continue, maybe even more so. We have a small mouse trial 
ready to go in the next few weeks, I'm going to compare five different strains of Rotorite and see which one is best. So right now, I, I can't tell you with good science which one is the best, but I think it's okay to get almost any strain of Rotorite. Some good sources, you can get the original source we got from the Biogaia gastris, B-I-O-G-A-I-A, gastris, G-A-S-T-R-U-S. Uh, but you'll have to, you have to follow my recipe because they'll come as tablets, like mandarin orange flavored tablets, and you can't make it right. You have to crush them. There's a special process. It's very easy. It's not that tough, but that's one choice. Uh, there's another product called um, LR Superfood. I advise this company. It's, it's Cutting Edge Cultures. They, they just came out with uh, what I think is, uh, is my favorite strain of Rotorai. There's some other sources too. We don't know if all those strains work. The one strain I would avoid is the 30242 strain. And forgive me, Carol, I know these designations are kind of nuts, but, but I didn't come up with it. And that, okay. the reason for that is that 30242 strain, one of the things it does not do, unlike other strains of Rotary, is produce what's called bactericins, natural antibiotics. See, the loss of Rotary, I think, is one of the big reasons why we have so much SIBO. Because Rotary, when it colonizes the upper GI tract, produces bactericins that kill off the species of SIBO. Now, restoring Rotary is, is probably not enough to get rid of SIBO, but it can be part of it. So one of the things that we've been doing you know, if you had SIBO and you go to a gastroenterologist, first of all, the gastroenterologist always will typically say something like, oh, did you consult Dr. Google again, Dr. Uh, Carol? Yeah, <laughs> or, I know. They're, they're, that's or that's there's no really kind of tragic. Uh-huh. <laughs> or there's no such thing. Or there's nothing wrong with you. I didn't see anything on your colonoscopy. These are all ridiculous things my colleagues tend to say. Yeah. Well, I would say at this point, you're fired. I'll find somebody else. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, it, what if this gastroenterologist does know something? We hand you a prescription for rifaximin, which is an antibiotic. I, you know, I'm a little reluctant to take an antibiotic for a problem largely caused by antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> but that's their solution. They don't tell you. And it's only about anywhere from 25 to 60% effective. It's not very effective. And it's $1,200. And it's not covered by insurance. So it's a lousy solution. And it comes with typically no real good advice, like how to prevent recurrences, how to increase the efficacy, et cetera. So one of the things I've been doing, so I asked some very basic questions. So if you have SIBO, 30 feet of microbes, right? Unhealthy stool microbes, and you take a commercial probiotic, will your SIBO go away? No, <laughs> you might get a little less diarrhea or bloating, but it will not go away. So I asked, what if we chose microbes? that colonize the upper GI tract. That's where SIBO is. And what if we choose microbes that produce these bactericins, natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO? So I chose three. I chose a strain of lactobacillus gasseri, colonize the upper GI tract, produces up to seven bactericins, very potent source of bactericins. I chose my favorite, lactobacillus rotari, uh, Colonized upper GA tract produces up to four bacteria. Uh, Lactobacillus rotari, Carol, is such an effective antibacterial that my microbiologist friends tell me they use it sometimes to clean their fermentation vats. Wow. <laughs> and then I added Bacillus coagulans. And so we make. What was that last one? Bacillus coagulans, C O A G U L A N S. 
Okay. We make a yogurt out of these three by fermenting them together, extended fermentation. So we get hundreds of billions. And so, so far, Cal, this is preliminary, but so far about 30 people have eaten this, what I call SIBO yogurt for four weeks and they've normalized their hydrogen gas. The only peculiar twist in all this is that because Rotori colonized the upper GI tract, it can also produce hydrogen gas. And so it, it screws the measurement up. So what we have to do is we make the yogurt, consume it for four weeks, stop the yogurt, wait two weeks, then test to see if you're negative so that Rotori doesn't give you a false positive. It's not really okay. a false positive, but it's kind of for all practical purposes is a false positive. Okay, great. That is such wonderful information. And let's talk more about the book and your plan in the book, your four-week program here. Let's, uh, let's discuss what that's all about. You know, as I'm sure some of your listeners are already saying, this is too much. <laughs> this is overwhelming. So I try to bring it down, make it simple. So I tell people, Managing your intestinal microbiome is just like having a backyard vegetable garden. So how do you do that? So springtime rolls around, you're going to have a, let's say a 10 by 10 little vegetable garden. How do you do that? Well, you set out your plot, you clean the soil up of sticks and stones and debris and weeds, then you plant seeds, and then you water and fertilize the growing season. The microbiome is just exactly the same. What's, what, how do you prepare the soil of your microbiome? Well, remove all the things that screw it up. Minimize your exposure to antibiotics, buy organic food or grow it yourself like you do whenever you can. So minimize herbicide, pesticides, no GMOs, of course, because those are miserable for your microbiome with glyphosate and BT toxin. Glyphosate is an antibiotic as, as well as being an herbicide. Uh, avoid processed foods because they're filled with preservatives, synthetic sweeteners like aspartame and emulsifying agents and other things, maltodextrin, all the stuff that screws up your microbiome in those processed foods with long lists. Get real food, avocado, eggs. <laughs> um, try to get off those other drugs that disrupt your microbiome like stomach acid blocking. And you can do these things. Uh, it, it would help to have a practitioner who knows what they're doing and can help you. Um, but get off those medications. So that's preparing the soil. Filter your drinking water, right? Yes. Plant the seeds. People often think of the probiotics as being the most, they're not. The current crop of commercial probiotics are not all that good because the science has not yet been factored into their creation. They tend to be haphazard collections of microbes with no rhyme or reason. But it'll get better. There's only one product I'm aware of where they actually put together what's called a guild or consortium of bacteria, like, like we mentioned, you know, bacteria like people, they collaborate, they work together. We don't live by ourselves our entire lives. We have families and partners and communities and neighbors, bacteria the same way. Well, my friend, Dr. Raul Keno, microbiologist in his 40 year academic career, one of the things he did was create this one guild and it's a commercial product. And once again, no relationship, except they're my friends. The company is called BiotiQuest, B-I-O-T-I Quest. And a product is called Sugar Shift. And they call it Sugar Shift because this consortium of microbes, uh, we, I gave to 20 of my followers and they, these are non-diabetic people and they reduce their blood sugar fasting, non-diabetic by 9.8 milligrams per deciliter, which is on a par with prescription medications. So 
And that's because that consortium of microbes that Dr. Kennel created consumes sugars in your GI tract. And then you, they eat it and make other good things for you, like, like fatty acids that nourish your intestinal lining and such. So, uh, but the best seed is not a probiotic. It's fermented foods. The foods that your great grandma ate all the time, ate every day because she made sauerkraut and other fermented foods, uh, kefirs, yogurts, kimchi, fermented veggies. And this is almost a no cost process. I, I, I have a bunch of veggies fermenting on my kitchen counter. It's almost, it's just brine. Uh, and then you can either add a, a starter culture or you can let the microbes resident on the skin of the, of the vegetable to ferment for you. It's very easy. Yeah, and there's lots of information lots out of there information. On, on fermenting. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, the water and fertilizer for your microbes is just prebiotic fibers. These are the fibers you find in such foods as shallots, garlic, onions, uh, root vegetables. Uh, bok choy. Bok choy, deadline greens. Mm -hmm. and just want to incorporate some of those into every meal. Mushrooms for their polysaccharides, polyphenols and fruits and vegetables. So it's really just like a garden. You're going to prepare the soil. You're going to plant seeds, then you're going to water and fertilize it with these fibers, polysaccharides, and polyphenols. And in the in the book, you also have more of an outline of a plan for people who want to follow follow something and and recipes that can assist the microbiome. So I, I I wanted ways for people to get all these. You know, it's it's becoming clearer and clearer. There's a great study performed by a husband wife group at Stanford. Justin and Erica Sonnenberg, they've done tons of work in the microbiome. They published a paper very recently, like six months ago, showing that of all the things you can do for your microbiome, one of the most important is to consume lots and lots of fermented foods, just like humans used to. And that really reshapes the composition of your, of your uh, microbiome. So you want to make a habit of this. You want to have some fermented veggies, uh, I think, at every meal. It doesn't have to be a huge serving. It could be a couple of tablespoons of something that's been uh, uh, fermented, like kefir or kimchi. Kimchi, by the way, is, is, is at the top of the list for healthy fermented foods because of the microbes. It's got microbes, wacky names, like Luganostoc mesenteroides and Pediococcus pentasaceus. Don't remember that, but these are <laughs> wonderful microbes. And one of the great things that the Sonnenbergs showed is that even though you're getting all these incredibly helpful microbes from fermented foods, they're not the ones that take up residence. Somehow, it's not quite clear. Somehow, the microbes in fermented foods allow, they open the door for healthy microbes to start to proliferate. No one knows how that works exactly. Were they latent? Are you more receptive to microbes from the environment and other people? No one knows exactly how that happens, but something you get the fermented foods and all these other microbes appear. So it's really a fabulous effect. Huh. That's very interesting. Well, maybe there'll be some more studies about that coming up and why that happens. I'm curious about that. You know, I think a common mistake people make is, you know, I tell them with my clients, you know, eat fermented food and they go, okay, well, I bought sauerkraut and I eat that, you know, a couple of times a week. It's, it's the variety that you need. So, you know, I tell people, you know, what you said, uh, kefir, and, and I usually don't recommend yogurt that often because a lot of my clients don't eat dairy. 
So what do you think about that? Several things to know. So you don't have to use dairy. You have other things you can use. Coconut milk is very friendly, but you ha- there are some additional steps you have to take to get a good uh, end result. You can even, from, you can take <clears throat> whatever microbe you want. By the way, when people hear about all the different microbes you can replace, they get a little overwhelmed, but I tell them it's like going to a restaurant. You know, when you walk into a restaurant, the waitress hands you a menu, you don't freak out and say, there's no way I can order all these appetizers, main courses and desserts. You pick the dishes you want for the effect for, uh, uh, for, you know, to suit your taste. Likewise with microbes, you can pick the microbe for the effect you want. So if you want smoother skin, you want to get along better with your family and coworkers, and you want um, uh, deeper sleep and greater libido. Let's ferment lactobacillus rotari. Let's say you want to shrink your waist more than you've achieved with diet. Let's ferment lactobacillus gasseri. Let's say you want, you're a competitive athlete or you work outdoors hard and get sore muscles. You want to reduce muscle soreness and accelerate recovery. Let's ferment bacillus coagulants. Let's say you have a baby. You want that baby to sleep through the night. You want to have fewer bowel movements, formed bowel movements, uh, reduced by 50%, so fewer diaper changes from mom and dad. And it has less likelihood of asthma, and type 1 diabetes, autoimmune diseases, IBS, um, obesity as a teenager, and has a higher IQ. Let's ferment bifidobacteria infantis. So you can pick and choose the microbes you want for the effect you want. It's, like, it's just like a menu from a restaurant. Pick the ones you want. And it's fun as heck. But it doesn't have to be dairy. Um, um, I can do goats a lot better than I can do dairy. And uh, and I particularly like raw goat milk. And I think that would be wonderful to, uh, to use for uh, making yogurt. Mm-hmm. So several things to know. When we use our extended ferment, so I say extended fermentation because when you buy yogurt in a store, one, the microbes are not very interesting. It's lactobacillus bulgaricus and streptococcus thermophilus. Oh, hum, boring. And they ferment <laughs> for four hours. So if rotary, for instance, doubles every three hours. So if you're going to ferment for four hours, you got nothing. That's why we ferment for 36 hours. By the way, if you go longer than 36 hours, you don't get any further increases. You get a okay. plateau and you get more microbial death. So doesn't, doesn't, that 36 hours is the magic number for, for rotary. But when you, when you ferment like that for extended periods, you've done several things. You've maximally converted the lactose to lactic acid. So there's almost no lactose. People who are lactose intolerant can almost always eat the yogurt. And that accumulation of lactic acid drops the pH to about 3.5 to 4, which is tenfold more acidic. So it's a little tart than conventional yogurt. And that degree of acidity breaks down the casein beta A1 that some people are intolerant to. It doesn't eliminate it, but it markedly reduces it. If if that still doesn't suit you, you can always use A2 milk, or as you do, goat milk, sheep. Those are A2 forms. They mimic the human form of casein. Or use non-dairy sources. I, I fermented hummus, salsa, all kinds of juices. One really fun thing to do, Carol, this is not in the book because I just did this in the last couple of months, is we make Saccharomyces boulardii sparkling juices. Ah. So for instance, take apple cider, not apple juice, but apple cider or other juices. I've got um, some mango passion fruit right now on the kitchen counter. 
I've done coconut pineapple juice. Just have to make sure there's no preservatives because it, it, they kill the microbes. So you get a, a juice that has no preservatives, any volume, quart, two quarts, gallon, doesn't matter. Take a capsule of, there's a commercial probiotic called Florastor, F-L-O-R-A-S-T-O-R. It's different names in other parts of the world, but in the U.S. it's called Florastor. And all that is, is a few billion of a fungus called Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a cousin of Saccharomyces cerevisiae. That's the fungus used to make wine and beer. But boulardii is better adapted to the human body. So we empty a capsule of the Saccharomyces boulardii into the juice, cap it very lightly, because if you cap it tightly, it will explode at about 24 hours, literally explode. Okay. <laughs> if you cap it lightly, you're going to see, you, you can re release a whole ton of CO2 gas and at 24 hours. You can actually watch this thing bubbling like a little cauldron. That's how much fermentation is going on. I let it ferment for 48 hours, then refrigerate it. Because if you let it go too much farther, it starts to ferment the alcohol. Okay. So for, uh, refrigerate it 48 hours. Now you have a very concentrated source of this fungus called Saccharomyces boulardii. It's kind of like a traffic cop in your microbiome. It cultivates healthy microbes. It suppresses unhealthy microbes. You can probably maybe even push back CFO with it, though it may take you a couple of months, like a quarter to a half cup, two or three times a day. It does have some sugar. I measured the sugar in it. You know, it's juice, so it's very sugary. Uh, the fermentation process cuts the sugar by 50%. So it does reduce the sugar, but there's still sugar in there. Yeah. And so you only eat, uh, drink um, small portions. But if you used apple cider, it tastes like apple soda. If you used uh, cranberry juice, it tastes like cranberry soda. It, it's fun as heck. And it's virtually foolproof. Just do it on your kitchen counter. Wow, that's fascinating. Well, you have so many great ideas. And um, I wish that one was in the book, but I'll just have to come back and listen to this over it's and so over easy, again so to, to get the, to get this all. Well, um, thank you so much for being with us today. You, you had so many great ideas and the book is so comprehensive. And I highly recommend it to people. I mean, it's one of those, those books. I, I picked it up not long ago and I just, I was just, wow, wow. I never knew this. Wow. Wow. And I, I love to be wowed by books and your, your book, <laughs> your book. And, and, and I love solutions. So, you know, the bad news is we consume a lot of environmental toxins in our body on a daily basis. And, you know, the good news is there are some solutions out there. And, and this is a really powerful solution. So thank you again, for writing this important book. And again, I encourage our listeners to get the book and, and read it. And thank you to our listeners for being on today. And we'll be back soon with another great guest. Mm -hmm.